Welcome to the Education Technology Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Today we're joined by self-employed educator Melissa Aitbelade to talk about the convergence of the old and the new styles of teaching, and how embracing such polarizing philosophies can prove beneficial in the classroom. How are you, Melissa? I'm doing well, Elmer. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for joining us. So, Melissa, I want to start at ground level. Can you tell us a little bit about how you feel about technology in the classroom? Is this something you're embracing? Is this something that affects the way you approach the classroom? I'm glad to be here because I am really excited about how technology is really being embraced and even expected for educators now. Um, I think that that's something, I mean, really as teachers who have been there for a long time or who've come in really with the enthusiasm for the kids, find their themselves a little bit frustrated um, by the short attention spans of students now. Um, technology is really the answer to that. Um, so I'm excited that it's something that um, the teacher prep programs have to include. I'm excited that teachers who like using blogs and who have grown up with Google, they can incorporate in that into their classrooms and it feels more like a natural extension of themselves. Um, but uh, as you said, there are also some things that I'm a little concerned about. Um, you know, I feel like the teacher prep programs still are a little behind, um, and even some of our most cutting-edge schools still are a little behind the eight ball in um, what they'll allow in the classrooms and the types of freedoms that they'll give the teachers who are ready to um, really spread their creative wings and, and run with their natural gifts and abilities. So um, I don't think that there's anything that has to be thrown out in terms of looking at the whole child and um, and lesson planning. But I do feel like the education as an industry is still behind the eight ball. So what do you think are some of the obstacles that are keeping it behind? Um, you know, I've, I've actually worked at the policy level um, before on No Child Left Behind as well. And I've seen from that top-down um, approach that the government and even outside entities that aren't governmental are still have such a large hand in how education is being run. Um, I feel like there's too much input into the teaching profession by those who are not educators and who are not teachers and who don't ex- who have never experienced or who or who have long left the experience of the classroom. And so I feel like teachers need to have their say. You know, the ones who are there every single day. Um, shouldn't be discounted because of, you know, not going on to the policy level or not going on to the leadership level. There are some of us who really, truly feel like our place is in the classroom. And, you know, being there, it's like, okay, well, now you're not as professional in some way um, just because you're a teacher. So I feel like teachers' voices really need to be elevated and lifted and less input from um, non-educators. So do you think it's difficult to strike that balance? Because I feel like it must be still a little split, right, with some teachers wanting to embrace technology and some not wanting to. So what do you think the move should be there in regards to listening to teachers and implementing policy? Yeah, you're right. There's a huge split, especially you've got your old school teachers who are absolutely against it. Um, I've seen this in some of the teacher training that I've done that some of them are against it just because they don't feel adequate. But it's funny, all those same teachers have their iPad and their iPhone and, and you know, and they know how to work it pretty well. But I think there's just something about holding on to the old um, and kind of the scapegoating of the new and the young. Um, so 
I feel like the young teachers and those who have embraced the technology um, have a lot to bring in terms of their talents and their gifts to show those who haven't done that so far. Um, again, how to keep the attention and how to make learning more engaging and more entertaining for the students, because this isn't just about, um, you know, putting a screen in front of them and zoning out because it, they're still lesson planning. You still have to design your curriculum. You still have to make it relevant. Um, but I've, I, I include a mix of ways that I started out 10 years ago in the industry where, um, yeah, I had like one computer in my classroom and my kids had to crowd around it if I wanted to have them watch YouTube. Um, but I also did the manipulatives. I also created papers, but now I do that with students and I ask them what they got from it. And, you know, they're, they're feeling like it was, it, it meant nothing. It was a meaningless activity if it didn't involve, um, some type of tech component. So what do you think that balance should look like, you know, between for lack of a better word, analog teaching yeah. and, and digital teaching, not only from the student side, but from the teacher side, how does this affect the way you approach the classroom and how does this affect student retention and engagement? Right. Yeah, it definitely is not analog versus digital. I'd say that both have to be included in some way. Um, for example, brain breaks are one thing that are really becoming in vogue in, in um, education. So students getting five minutes to play some type of game in the classroom that has nothing to do with the lesson there. Um, students really love that. So, and I tell my students, you're, that's required too. You know, you have to take a break mimic each other's facial expressions, uh, you know, like, and not look at the screen and not be writing anything either. Um, so that's one way. And then also just on the, on the grand scale of things about how to keep um, students engaged overall and, and, and education as, as the, as the industry, um, you know, we still need different voices. So I think the balance is, bringing in people with different types of teaching expertise uh, at their different levels and their different backgrounds and just seeing what comes from getting minds in a room or um, in some type of forum. Some, you know, there, I know there are different associations out there, so I'm not sure what it would look like, but I do think, again, taking into account various backgrounds, various um, skills and saying, okay, what should education look like going forward versus this analog versus digital, digital, young versus new, policymakers versus teachers, you know, just overall, it sounds like an overhaul to me, overhaul is needed to me from the different types of back, or, sorry, different types of contexts that I've worked in. Right. So can you try and contextualize this a little bit for us? What are some personal examples of things you're doing in the classroom that embrace the new and the old styles of teaching? Um, so I know that kids still like to be active and get up and talk. So like right now I'm a Spanish teacher. So yeah, there are great things like Duolingo that get them to practice and compete against each other um, there in the digital space. But you know, one big part of language is speaking. So getting them to get up and speak and create scripts and, and dialogues, that type of thing. Um, outside of the realm of just language, I still think that there's a place for manipulatives and also the kinesthetic learners being able to move their bodies. And so we wouldn't throw out the different learning styles and educators would be familiar with Gardner's learning styles and multiple intelligences. You still have to keep those. So even if we are doing something that does include some type of tech, there's got to be the break and let those who are the kinesthetic learners, for example, also have that type of learning modality included. 
it, does that help contextualize it more? Yeah, yeah, no, that that definitely does. I I appreciate that. So as a as a teacher, do you feel that districts or, or school boards are generally, I guess, encouraging or or supportive of this kind of embrace of this new, you know, experiential kind of teaching and learning? Yeah, I've seen even those who are kind of old school get into the experiential and really into the PBL or project based learning and understand that, you know, with something that's more contextualized for students, um, say actual projects for community organizations or companies um, or something for their school, say we're going to work on this project and then to embed the standards there um, and lesson plan around that. That's one huge uh, trend that I've been seeing. Um, also, just to think about learning in terms of modules. So we're, I, I don't know how many people have done, gotten into online education, but online education and the way that kids also are learning through these uh, tech platforms uh, are modules. So if the teachers can design modules for their students that um, include one step that might be tech, another step that might be writing, another part of the module that might be getting into the, you know, one particular standard and just kind of rolling it all into one so that kids kind of feel like they're accomplishing and moving towards a goal. And um, so that's also gets into game theory and game learning as well. Um, kids really get into that again, because they're so used to that in their world that they collect stars on some type of game or they're competing against somebody. So whenever you bring gamification into the classroom, that's huge for kids as well. So expanding on that, do you think that this is a general cultural shift we're seeing in how we approach education, or is this still just a couple of teachers trying to be experimental and, and try something new? Um, no, I'm seeing the shift overall. I've seen it um, at the higher education level, and I've seen it all the way from elementary through high school, um, that the teachers are not only being encouraged to have their own creative freedom, but different professional developments are being provided. Um, one of my contracts that I worked on was with a nonprofit who was providing one-to-one -one tablets for every school within the school district in Dallas ISD. So now, um, sorry, not every school, only every third through fifth grade school. So now every third through fifth grade student was basically required by this grant to have their own tablet. It was a Kindle. And then the teachers were held accountable for actually implementing them in the classroom. Um, and this is in a school district that I've seen, I would say is definitely behind as a whole in terms of technology. So then what do you think is the balance we need to strike or, or the next move that needs to happen for the industry to become a little bit more unified in its approach to, to education? Because obviously there's that natural bureaucratic nature of getting policy implemented in or, or, or out of education. But what do you think are some other obstacles that are keeping us from really unifying together? Uh, that's good. Yeah, the natural bureaucratic nature would be the first. <laughs> um, other obstacles I've seen, again, are kind of just like the mindsets um, of getting those who have been in the profession for a long time to embrace these changes. I also feel like from the the state levels, because states are all responsible for their own standards, um, even, well, I know that the, some have adopted Common Core, but um, just getting those standards to include technology that isn't necessarily like its own class as well, um, to have that just embedded into how classrooms are run 
um, because these are 21st century skills. So for just overall for education to be expected, I'm sorry, for technology to be expected in the classroom is something that students have to master just for their for their professional and personal survival in the real world. Um, so yeah, from I'd say from the standards and policy level, um, as well as mindset. So then do you think it's just a waiting game or, or a numbers game for people to catch up to this cultural shift you mentioned earlier? Um, that's hard to say, um, again, because there are so many different factors. Um, like before, when you mentioned the teacher education programs and how you how I had mentioned how they're also a little far behind. Um, you know, that's a huge thing because all the teachers, not every teacher, but for the most part, you know, needs to get certified. And if the certification is only requiring a certain level of understanding or expertise, then how then can the schools really, truly, and meaningfully enforce that um, ed tech is a part of education? Um, and then also the fact that we have education and ed tech as two separate um, kind of ideas and industries where really I think it's all together. It's all all one and the same. But then I'm also seeing where, you know, grants dictate so much, um, not only um, from certain nonprofits, but from corporate, from the corporate side where Microsoft or Apple or, you know, Samsung might have some type of grants for schools. And so you're having to for it and then get the rest of the teachers up to date and so it's more of like this flashy this feature on a website about what the school offers so for charter schools and private schools especially to be able to keep enrollment numbers um, to say hey you know we have these computers or we have these tablets and so not only is that to get teachers to come um, because now they're getting a free tablet or computer but also for parents to feel more confident that the school is up to date but that doesn't mean like every teacher has really been trained and competent and become competent in using these resources and responsibly too because there's the digital responsibility aspect that is also overlooked you know you put a tablet in every kid's hands and now they have access to all the information in the world that now teachers need to know how to successfully navigate with them and to show them how to do it properly um, and then another part of another facet is that, you know, teachers, even if they can teach them, you know, how do you really model for students in a meaningful manner, how to be good digital citizens when, you know, that aspect of the teacher is so expected to be left outside of the classroom, you know, their social media profiles and who they are in the digital space, you know, that's not quote unquote professional. So, you know, how can you really show kids that this is something that's here to stay and we want to show you how to do it in a, you know, we want to show you how to not be a cyber bully. We want to show you, um, you know, different aspects of how to be responsible in the community. And so much of real life for the teachers is tied to the digital aspect but that they can't really discuss, talk about, or show and model for the kids, which is a critical part of teaching is modeling. So, you know, that's another facet to consider. So with that said, Melissa, then what do you see on the horizon? What do you think is the optimal future we should be longing for in regards to education and technology converging together? Um, wave of the future. Um, I feel like it's going to be a little while before education, at least public education, can really embrace this. But I'm 
seeing so much in the private space um, where kids are not able, not only able to get devices in their hands and use different ed tech resources and products, but also learn how to create. So, and we're seeing maker spaces, um, you know, the 3D printers, design, website design, all the way down to the elementary level. So I think it's exciting that educators that have that expertise can get into that space in many different ways um, and not have to deal with just the frustration of the natural way that education is right now. Um, but I do think it's going to be a little while, you know, it's, it's no telling when um, the public sector would catch up. Right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Melissa. I, I appreciate your time so much. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that you had me on the show. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketskill.com slash industries and subscribe to articles, podcasts, and video content for your favorite industries. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Have a good day.